Revival is one of the most important parts of the Christian life. What can we do to ensure we have godly revival in our lives? In this message, learn from God's Word as Kenyon Ridge prepares for its 20th anniversary revival. Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10. In your Bibles tonight, Ezra chapter 10. Um, verse number one. Now, when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechanai, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as were born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law." Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Then arose Ezra and made the chief priests and Levites and all of the Israel to swear that they should do according to this word, and they swear. On uh, November the 2nd, uh, 10 days from now, we're going to have three special services. Uh, we call it a revival, and we should, but really it's a special set of meetings that are set aside that are designed to help us be more Christ-like. That's the reason for them. Are they a revival? Well, time will tell if it's a revival. We have to ask the question, what is a revival? A revival is a renewed interest or attention in something. Uh, turn the screen on back there, would you, Tyler? Um, Revival is a new interest um, or uh, attention in something. You can have you can have a revival of um, watermelon. Got new interest in watermelon. I've got renewed, leave that definition up there. I've got renewed interest. I really liked it. I've been away from it. Now I'm going back. About every January, people have a revival of physical fitness. Right? It's coming. It's coming. If you watch it right now, prices on physical fitness equipment, they're going up. And by January, they'll be expensive. Wait till about June and they'll hit their bottom, June, July, August. And then it'll start climbing. Why? Because every January, people have a renewed interest or attention. I had a revival of push-ups or whatever the case may be. It means that something has drifted off and is coming back on at the time. It's a renewed interest or attention in something. That's what a revival is. Throughout the Bible, there are many examples of great revivals. Moses led a revival in Exodus 32 and 33. Samuel did in 1 Samuel chapter 7. David did in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 29. Josiah in 2 Chronicles 34. Nehemiah in Nehemiah 8 to 10. And Ezra here in Ezra chapter 9 and 10. And if you say, Pastor, have you preached out of this text before? I preached out of every revival text over a 20-year period in the Bible. So there's, there's not a revival text that I haven't preached on. So if you have the notes to this, yes, you have heard a message very, very similar to this. 
but it doesn't negate the reality or the need for the message. In Ezra, the book of Ezra, we understand that Ezra was the high priest. In the Hebrew Bible, the books Ezra and Nehemiah are one book of the Bible because they tell one basic story, the the return of the remnant uh, to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the city and the temple. The Babylonian captivity began in 606 B.C. Jerusalem fell in 587 B.C., about 19 years prior to the captivity. And the Babylonians deported many people between 606 and 586, including Daniel and Ezekiel. And the captivity was predicted by Jeremiah to last 70 years, and it did. Ezra tells the story of the remnant that is returning to the land and the rebuilding of the temple. And as we come to our account in verse number 10, uh, the temple has been rebuilt and Ezra was preaching to the nation about rekindling their relationship with God. Ezra is, is imploring them, is, is, is pleading with them to rekindle and, and set their hearts afire for the Lord yet again. I believe that people are basically similar everywhere you go. Uh, what country you go to, what continent you go to, people are basically similar. And I think people in different regions struggle with different sins and different things, and people in different parts of even our country would struggle with different things maybe than folks in another part. But as a general rule, people are similar, especially in this way. It's very easy to put things in front of our walk with God. It's very easy. I want to encourage you to show yourself some grace tonight as I preach through this. If you think like I'm the only one who's ever done that, you're not the only one that's ever done it. Everybody in this room has done that. We put things in front of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we can learn some things from this revival though every revival is different and God works the way that God wants to work in his time. I want us to notice four realities of Ezra's revival that will help our walk with God. Notice in verse number one, it's really clear, fifth word, now when Ezra prayed, I want you to know that if revival is really going to happen, prayer is needed. Prayer is needed. Now get the scene down in verse number one. Ezra prayed and confessed, and he's weeping, and he's casting himself down before the house of God, and he's out in front of the temple that is being built, Ezra's temple, and he's on the ground, and he is weeping over the sin of the people. He's confessing in deep agony, and, and the prayer that he is praying and the, and the physical action of the prayer is drawing people's attention. Prayer is needed. John Knox, the man who led the great revivals of Scotland, constantly carried the burden for his land. It said that night after night, John Knox would pray on the wooden floor of his refuge, his hidden little refuge from Queen Mary who was trying to have him killed. She, she uh, hated that he was preaching something other than the damnable heresies of Catholic doctrine. 
His wife pleaded with him to get some sleep, and he answered this, made this statement in response, how can I sleep when my land is not saved? One historian reports that Knox would often pray all night in agonizing tones, Lord, give me Scotland or I die, and God indeed shook Scotland, and John Knox led a revival in Scotland where many, many thousands of people came to Christ. On April 19, 1742, David Brainerd, missionary to the American Indians, wrote in his diary, I set apart this day for fasting and prayer to prepare me for the ministry. In the forenoon or before noon, I felt a power of intercession for immortal souls. In the afternoon, God enabled me so to agonize in prayer that I was quite wet with sweat. Though in the shade and in the cool wind, my soul was drawn out very much for the world. I gasped for the multitudes of souls. I think I made more enlargement for sinners than for the children of God. Though I felt I could spend my life in cries for both. John Hyde, who was called the Apostle of Intercession for India, he often cried out, Father, give me these souls or I die. He alternated between agony of intercession and joyous praise, receiving tremendous answers to prayer by the end of his missionary service. He was averaged more than four souls a day, largely one through prayer. If we're going to see revival in our land, if we're going to see revival in our own hearts and lives, a changed world inside of us, it's going to happen because of prayer. I, I find prayer the most frustrating of all spiritual disciplines. The most difficult of all spiritual disciplines. Now, I heard somebody arrogantly say that I don't find prayer the most difficult of all spiritual disciplines. And I said, yes, yours is humility. <laughs> I find prayer the most difficult. Why? Because so much is done through prayer... When we do so little, especially for those of us that are driven type A individuals, or maybe you're just a, a passionate, maybe not even type A, you, whatever type of personality you, they, the tests say you are, uh, that's what you are, I guess. But, but we all want to accomplish things and, and we're all pretty much people of action and, and, and prayer is, is the antithesis to our effort and our aggression. Prayer is simply expressing our absolute dependence on God and asking God to do a work that we cannot do. It is by nature extremely humbling. God, my marriage stinks and nothing can happen. I've got to have your help. God, my heart is far from you. I, I need your help. Is it any wonder Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always, always in a state, always in an attitude of prayer, always in an attitude of, of lifting our hearts to the Lord. Philippians 1.19, Paul says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Prayer is absolutely needed. We often make so little of prayer I, 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 I dislike the time that we have our men's prayer at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. 
7.30 in the morning on Sunday. Because so few folks come. And it's often, well, if it was just later, I'm not even arguing that, not arguing that for a second. But then we have prayer at 6.30 on Wednesday night. And we'll have prayer. And I'll see men down here while we're having prayer up there. Well, the greatest work being done that will ever be done in the week is happening upstairs in one of the offices. And we're down here doing really what we enjoy. In fellowship, just talking, hanging out. God has called us to be a people of prayer. God has called us to lift our hearts together in prayer. God has called us to go to Him in prayer. The old song is sung. We don't sing it because it's a little bit antiquated. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. Man, as, as elections come, it's interesting to, to get emails from Christians who claim, or politicians who claim to be Christians and Christians who are pushing for a political agenda. And I don't fault anybody for this. I'm not trying to be negative on it. I just wonder sometimes, do we have, have the same passion for prayer that we do for politics? Do we have the same passion to lift our voice for prayer as we do our political agenda? Oh, did you listen to this podcast? Did you hear what this guy said? Did you listen to what they said? Man, would it not be good for all of us to stop and consider how much time we're spending in prayer? Prayer is needed. Look at verse number 1. Now when Ezra prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of the house of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Not only is prayer needed, a necessity for any revival or honesty or, or, or real relationship is an honest confession. An honest confession. Confession is a right acknowledgement of self before God in the confession of sin. Here's what happened. The men of Israel had married outside the boundaries God had set for them. God had told them, don't marry any of the women of the land. But they left Babylon and they went back to Jerusalem and there were no Jewish women there for them, it seems. Or maybe it was the men that were left in the land and that, that there were no Jewish women. And so they began to marry what the Bible calls the women of the land. And, and Ezra begins to confess... That, that the congregation has violated God's law. And they violated God's law, listen to me, because their heart turned away from God. That's why any of us sin. Any of us. We sin because our way is right and we choose our way over God's way. And revival brought a realization of sin. Ezra led in what we call at Canyon Ridge a corporate confession. Now at this prayer meeting, understand, Ezra was the only one at the prayer meeting to start with. Nobody else was really impressed to pray. 
Ezra, it seems from the text that he's by himself in the front of the temple and he's praying. And the people are just kind of spectators. And he's, he cast himself down in humility before the house of God. And all of the Israel, uh, and, and, uh, and they're assembled unto him out of Israel, a very great congregation of men, women, and children. And the people wept sore. They hear Ezra weeping and they're weeping. And notice what it says in verse number 2. We have trespassed against our God and taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in the land concerning this thing. One of the things that frightens me as a pastor is that you can have sin in your life and it not bother you. You can have sin in your life and you're just kind of okay with it. We can, relig- we can rationalize our sin. We're, we're okay with the pride that's in our life. We're, we're okay with the animosity. We're okay with the less than, than stellar marriage that's an example to a lost and dying world. We're, we're okay with, with a lot of things. We just rationalize our sin. And that's what they had done. And Ezra, in in talking to them, and in preaching to them, and in ministering to them, just just clearly, uh, in a burden, confesses, you trespassed against our God. The psalmist said in Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Psalm 51, 2, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Would to God that our sin would ever be in front of us. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Verse number four, against thee and thee only have I sinned. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah murdered. It was a conspiracy and many people were involved. And David said this, God, only against you have I sinned. Now, now, it doesn't mean that his sin didn't affect other people. But David understood that his sin was so heinous in the eyes of God as all sin is. That no matter the effect of the rest of the world, ultimately David's sin was against God. Joe Wright, who was a pastor in Wichita, Kansas, on January 23rd, 1996, was asked to be the guest chaplain at the Kansas State House in Topeka, Kansas, and to give the invocation, or the invocation is just a prayer, and oftentimes pastors are called to come and pray before city meetings, um, not really in San Diego or California, but in other parts of the country, it's a regular thing. Um, he comes and, and he prays. And his prayer stirred up a, a great amount of controversy and people, some of the house members actually walked out of the, of his prayer because of the, the honesty of his prayer. Here was his prayer. I'll read it to you verbatim. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. 
We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good. But that's exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that. We have ridiculed your absolute truth and called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternate lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. Amen to that. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it a choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambitions. We have polluted the airwaves with profanity and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been set here to, by the people of Kansas who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule and may their decisions direct us to center, to the center of your will. Amen. Dude. I think there's some churches that wouldn't read that. But we wouldn't want to offend. I don't want to offend either. But we don't want anybody to feel bad. Yeah, that's not my biggest concern. It's a concern, for sure. I'm not trying to be funny. It's a concern. But it's not my largest. My, my largest concern is what happens to Canyon Range Baptist Church when they stand before the Lord. So the psalmist said in Psalm 19, verse number 12, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from my secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright in the way and innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me say, hypocrisy is gone at this point. There's, there's no looking and wondering why this person did this and why that person did that. You are consumed when there's honest confession with who you are and how you stand before God. We have, Ezra, we have transgressed against our God. And we have taken strange wives. There's no more arguing back and forth. There's no more justifying. Well, I know I responded that way, but if you heard what she had said... I know I did that, but if you heard what he did... No, it's an honest confession. Then notice verse number three. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives. And such as were born to them is just another way of saying, and the children we had with them. 
according to the counsel of my Lord and those that tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Notice thirdly, there's repentance of sin. Repentance of sin. Shekinai or Shekinah suggested they repent and make a covenant with God to divorce their unbelieving wives, sending them away with their children. Now, I'm going to let you in on a secret right now. They should have never married these women, but I have a really strong feeling that they still love them like you love your wife. I have a feeling that they love them like like you care for your spouse. By the way, if you don't, you need to repent of that. Well, I love them. I love them in my own way. No, your love sucks. No, did you hear me? You're a testimony of Christian crap in your marriage. You need to get it right. Well, we just have a special relationship. No, you have a crappy relationship. Get it right with the Lord. Repent of it. They, they love their wives. And a drastic action was being taken. We will put away, now stay with me, because we're in a different age than the children of Israel were as a nation at that time. But we will put away all of our wives. We're going to send them away. The Jews were a small nation. And God said they weren't allowed to intermarry. And at the exceptions that he makes in Scripture, if they were to intermarry, those women had to convert to Judaism. And these were unbelieving, rebellious women that would not convert to Judaism. And by Judaism, we mean the salvation by grace through hope in Christ alone, the way that a person was converted in the Old Testament. And they were resistant to that. The curse of sin and disobedience was threatening to destroy them. And without God, their nation and their testimony to the true God would be erased forever. And so Shechaniah and the people felt deeply that they needed to repent and make a renewed covenant, a renewed commitment to obey God's law. And by the way, Christian, that's what repentance always does. Repentance for the believer always leads to a renewed commitment of obedience. It always leads to a change of behavior. It always leads to a, to a new surrender to God's Word. We get so comfortable in sin. We, we get so comfortable in sin that we think that God's comfortable with it too. So in Chicken Ai's mind, the only way to handle the problem was to... Act as the law dictated. Exactly what laws you're referring to, we're, we're not exactly sure. But perhaps it was the law against intermarriage of Deuteronomy 7.3. Or maybe the law of divorce, Deuteronomy 24. Or Deuteron- Isaiah chapter 50 or Jeremiah 3. Not exactly sure. 
But it's very, very clear that the men of the land say, okay, we're, we're, we're going to divorce our unbelieving wives and we're going to send our wives and our children away. And by the way, according to the law, they were financially responsible for them for the rest of their lives. You say, Pastor, that seems pretty extreme. Yeah, dealing with sin is extreme. Dealing with sin is extreme. God doesn't like, oh, maybe, or next week. No, no. When you deal with sin, you have to deal with sin. And, and, and you say, well, well, if my wife or my husband isn't a believer, do I divorce him? No, no. That was in the Old Testament. Today, we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But if an unbeliever will stay married to you and not prevent a person from, from uh, living out their faith and having faith in Christ, then we are to stay married to them and, and live that out as much as is absolutely possible and be a testimony to the grace of God to them because possibly it is through your obedience to the Lord that that uh, unbelieving spouse would come to Christ. It's the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, God says, no, no, I want, I'm, we're done here. You've got to put them away. That's what James says in James chapter 4, verse number 8. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. This has been a heavy heavy day preaching-wise at Canyon Ridge. You say, well, the text demanded it. And it's not accidental. It's not for you to go, oh, just give it a couple of weeks and we'll be back there. No, no. God expects you to deal with and be obedient to what he's requiring of you in the moment. Listen, there's people watching online that I'm going to tell you right now, you're not right with God because you're not in the house of God. I, I'm not angry with you. I want you to stand before Jesus with joy. I love you enough to speak the truth to you that God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And the gathering together is not online. It's not church. And and by the way, to serve Jesus is going to cost you something. And somebody say, oh, I'd give my life for Christ. Bro, you won't even give an hour and a half twice a Sunday for Him. Don't think like you would do great things for Him. Don't lie to yourself. Just admit, like, I'm weak. Better to be honest than to tell yourself a lie. No, God expects you and God expects me to be in His house. I go to church online every once in a while when I'm on vacation and there's not a church nearby. And by nearby, I mean within about 45 miles. Debbie and I have driven over an hour to go to church on Sunday morning to people we didn't know, to a place we didn't know, because we believe in this principle. There's a few times that I've had to watch Bernie up here preach with his little Russian dolls and (laughs) do those things. And, and, and the message is a blessing, and the music is a blessing, and everything's a blessing. But can I tell you this? You, if you're honest, you know this to be true. No matter how pure your heart is, it's not the same. I, I'm not being critical of, of people. Again, we have, some, we have some indigent folks that get the privilege of watching online. Praise the Lord for that. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to us. I'm talking to people that have the ability. It's just not the same. God expects us to gather together. And I'm not, this isn't a day about preaching, be in church. You're here, so thanks for being here. 
But, but it is a day to help us understand the fact that, that we are to turn from our sin, it was what we talked about this morning really, and turn to God. And then notice verse 4 and 5, and I'll be done. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. <laughs> I want you to notice there's an eagerness to act. There was an eagerness to act. You know, real, real revival is like, I'm just going to do this. And, and here in verse number 4, they're talking to Ezra, uh, arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. You're right in what you did. We'll, we're also going to be with you. Be of good courage and do it. Now, in 20 years, I think this was the first time I've ever been as bold about church attendance as I was. And after the service, I was like, eh, wonder if anybody will say anything. And normally when a pastor says that, he often thinks like people will say something negative. So I was ready for that. And I wasn't about to give an inch. So if you feel like, like, like if you ever look at me like angry while I'm preaching, like that has an effect on me, it does. Not in the way you were hoping. There is so much godly ghetto in me that, that when you, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm ducking, uh, police academy, they call it fight for life. That's how I feel every time I preach, I'm fighting for my life. But Chris Pank, after the service comes up to me, after the second service, really what happened is he had to preach to the kids over there and he felt the same way I did. <laughs> I'll let the joke stop there. But he said, Pastor... Thanks for being really bold about church attendance this morning. Can I just be honest with you? That, was, that, that may have been the most encouraging thing I've heard in months. You say, well, I, I wish I would have said that. I wish you had too. Be of good courage. Do it. This is helping our walk with God. This is what Shekinah, who Shekinah is nothing other than the representative of the people. And this is what he's saying to Ezra. Hey, we're with you. Do this. Then arose Ezra and made the chief priests and the Levites and all of Israel to swear that they should do according to this word. And they swear. They, they promised that they would do this to put away their wives and suffer the consequence of the action. And it cost them. Down at verse number 11. Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud, loud voice, as thou hast said, so must we do. They willingly suffered the consequences. They love their wives. Now, don't try to draw too many parallels. Some people teach that everything that was for the nation of Israel is for the church. It's not. But we looked at it this morning, Romans 15, 4. It's written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. And the learning aspect of this is, if you've got sin in your life, you need to get rid of the sin in your life. And you need to get rid of the sin in your life tonight. We're in need of revival. 
I could be candid with you, I feel like our church is like, like we're, we're riding a bike through deep sand. We've got a little bit of momentum, but we're riding through deep sand. And I'm not talking about attendance. Attendance in a church in San Diego, if you're, if you're affected by that, boy, you, you are in the wrong place. You better move to Georgia. And we've had a huge year of people moving away, huge year of people moving away. I understand your pastor's heart. Though I'm sad that people aren't here, the attendance isn't what I'm talking about. It's the passion and heart for God that's what I'm talking about. And, and, and listen, I know there's these times in all of our lives. Mine as well. I need revival. I need to act. We all need to rekindle that fire, rekindle that flame, rekindle that that passion that we once had for the Lord and and that interest that we once had for the Lord because we've allowed sin to seep in. We live in such a wicked culture that that if we've not embraced transgenderism and and liberal ideology and wokeism, we feel like we're the most conservative, godly people on the planet. But God wants more of us. God wants our heart not a conservative voting block I'm not preaching against that at all I would preach for that if I had needed to I've shared this illustration before but act like you've never heard it all right because most of you haven't heard it from me but imagine with me that you're on a beautiful hike and you're I love going I I love the state of Washington but sometimes it can be so rainy it's irritating so imagine with me you're in Colorado (laughs) I knew he was going to say that (laughs) just trying to to do everything I could to prevent the arrogance that needs action no I'm totally teasing (laughs) totally teasing totally teasing Jason 100% um, but imagine you're with me in Colorado. If you've never been to Colorado, Colorado is really beautiful. In truth, I don't think it's as beautiful as Washington. Uh, in a lot of ways, Washington's greener, but it's wetter. So in Colorado, though the trees aren't as close together, they're beautiful. And it often is, is during the, the spring, summer, and fall, it's often warmer and drier. And, and I, Debbie and I have had the privilege of going there a few times. And you're hiking through the mountains, not during bear season. And, and you come up to a beautiful uh, stream. And, and streams are beautiful, but they're especially beautiful when it's warm outside and they're running, and, and there's fish in them, and you have a fishing pole to catch them with. But it, it's especially beautiful, and it's warm, and you come up, and you're amazed by it. And then imagine that you just you do what I like to do and when I go, and that's just kind of walk the stream and see what's there. And then you walk, and you see this section of the stream, and there's a, there's a ton of trash that's there. And so you, because you're on vacation and you have nothing else to do, you start picking up the trash. And you pile the trash in a spot. And you're going to come back the next day with some black trash bags. And you're going to empty the trash and, or put the trash in bags and haul it out. And you spend two, three, four hours. And you're just, you're just loading the trash and loading, picking up trash and putting it in a spot and picking up trash and putting it in a spot. By the way, by the way, let me just stop and say this. Cleanliness is a biblical principle. Your house should be clean. Your cars should be clean. Your yard should be clean. If your house looks like Sanford and Son, there's a problem. 
It should be clean. Amen. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because I grew up with the clean Gestapo, Sergeant Clink. If you know my mom, if you haven't met my mom, you'll get to, uh, they'll be here Wednesday, I think. Is that right? Wednesday. And uh, I'm excited to have, I don't know what time they come in. Gloria takes care of all those details. I just have to pick them up and pay for everything. Um, She gets to have fun. She like runs up with me, mom needs 20 more dollars. Oh, here you go. Where's she at? At the casino again. There you go. So, but cleanliness is a biblical principle that somebody might need to repent of tonight. Amen. Yeah, thanks for that. But you're, you're picking up trash because that's what Christians do, and you, you're cleaning it up, and you pile it up, and you spend two, three, four hours doing that. And you're like, I'll come back tomorrow, and I'll put that away because it's, it's a hike to get here. So you hike back to your cabin, and you spend the night there, and the next day you wake up, and you, you take a box of black trash bags with you, and you, you go down, and you, you get to the area, and you, you take a double look, and you're like, what in the world? Because there's, there's trash there all over again. Not the trash that you piled up is still there, but all the other trash. There's, there's, there's way more trash than even you started with yesterday. You start picking it up, and then you get a little irritated. Like, is somebody coming down here at night and emptying trash? So you pick that trash up, you put it in bags, you set it to the side. And then you're like, I'm going to, you think, if you're like me, I'm going to investigate this. So you start walking up the, the, the little creek that's there, and, and you see more trash and more trash and more trash and more trash. And then you finally realize something, that the stream is connected to the city dump. And if you ever want the stream to be clean, you've got to do something at the dump to prevent the trash from the dump to getting into the stream. And here's a, a truth for the believer here. If you want your life to be clean, it means going directly to the source, the inner man, and cleaning what is there. It's not not enough to simply change your behavior because if you don't deal with the source of the inner man being right with God, it's just a matter of time before, listen to me, before the garbage comes back in. You've got to deal with the inner man. Where does revival begin? According to Ezra, it begins in the heart. And when the heart is right, everything else will grow out of that. Father, bless our time in the Word tonight. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.